survival of a hugely remote period when consciousness was manifested perhaps in shapes and forms long since withdrawn before the tide of advancing humanity, forms of which poetry and legend alone have caught a flying memory and called them gods, monsters, mythical beings of all sorts and kinds. Welcome to episode 101 of Ribbon of Memes! A podcast where we investigate films previously described by other great beings as masterpieces. I am one conceivably surviving consciousness, and I am joined as ever by Roger. I'm just sitting here correlating my contents. (laughs) Oh, you don't want to correlate your content. And we are for this um, first um, post-hundred episode... um, Having a a second Lovecraftathon, we had one a while back. I don't remember which episode it was, but uh, episode one hundred and one may also be known as Lovecraft Two, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, so I, I think we weren't terribly impressed with with the last one. I think it's fair. To, so the last, uh, I forget the episode number, but we were talking about uh, Dagon forty one Reanimator and Dagon. Yeah, uh, both of which. We felt had some good points and some bad points, but I, I think uh, neither of us felt were masterpieces or even particularly great reflections on Lovecraft's work. So this is, we should clarify, this is H.P. Lovecraft, the Jazz Age author who has become increasingly influential as the 20th and 21st century carried on. Um, it's worth noting outright, we are both aware that Lovecraft was not just a racist, but probably also a white supremacist, depending on <laughs> which of his letters you've read. Yeah, and it's it's not like some you know, authors of, of problematic personal lives, like say Wagner, where you can say, well, you know, okay, he was a horrible person, but he did this. <laughs> Lovecraft. I, I think it's fair to say that Lovecraft's three great fears are non-white people, women, and marine life. <laughs> yes, and, and, and these he... are all through his fiction. So you you cannot really separate the fiction from the guy. You have to be. I think it's rewarding. I think some of it is very good, but this I, I, this is uh, not an unmixed. It's not. Uh, it's not. But I mean, to, yes, some of his um, some of the true horrors in his um, in his fiction are discovering that in your past your ancestors were marine life and or non white people. I don't think he's got ones about discovering women were in your past. That might be. But yeah, he's, I find Lovecraft. I do find his work incredibly imaginative. Um, I think one of the reasons it attracts me is he's one of the few horror writers which is also who is also a very good, certainly towards the end of his writing career, uh, a pretty good science fiction writer, which is what mm. a lot of his work turned into. Well, that's the thing. Um, he, he is writing cutting-edge science fiction. Um, yes. What, one one of the stories we'll be talking about today, The, the Whisper in Darkness, is in, clearly inspired by the discovery of Pluto, for example. But I think also it, at the core is is relativity. You know, it is the final death of of the terracentric universe. 
Uh, as in, um, uh, you're not just not the centre of the universe or even the centre of the solar system, but there is actually no place that in the mm-hmm. universe which is special at all. And in fact, as relativity told us, even time itself isn't um, that special. It depends on how fast you're moving. Um, yeah, and yeah. That, that is just kicking away the final support of, I, I thought I was standing somewhere firm, but no, it's all moving, it's all moving, and I can't even decide how fast it's moving. Well, that does, what I like about Lovecraft is I think he's very good at, at expressing that, um, as it's described, cosmic horror, the mm. idea that the universe uh, is... It's not even that the universe is out to get to you, because that implies the universe gives a shit about you in the first place, and it really could not care less about you in any kind of way. Yeah, I, um, I may have said this before. My my mental model is we are the mice playing in the Combine Harvester. <laughs> exactly, at, at some yeah. point it's going to start up and we're going to die horribly, but there is no malice involved. Exactly, yeah, there's no thoughts in any way whatsoever. Um, so... I think we accept Lovecraft's problematic views, um, none of which are particularly expressed in the stories we're covering hmm. today. Well, th- these are all um, 21st century films, so well, should at we least start, people are um, aware of that. that. That we're covering three stories and um, four films, because we've hmm. got two adaptations of the same uh, story. But uh, let's, let's take them one by one. So, I, I, I think... Right, well, the first one is The Call of Cthulhu from 2005. I, th- I think we have to admit to a certain bias here, um, because uh, Chris Lackey is one of the... Um, I don't know how te- how much of a member of the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society he is, but he has certainly been a significant part in it. He, he I think he's involved in the production on this one. He's, he's credited as executive producer. And, and this... uh, he, he's a friend of ours, so... Uh, yes, yes. We, so there we, is we, a we may have some bias. I, I think it's worth considering the HBL Historical Society, um, because what they are feeds into what works and what doesn't work for me. Okay. That... And they, they are, they are live role players in Los Angeles. That's how it started, isn't it? This particular society. I think. Yeah. And they, yeah, it's Los Angeles. A bunch of them work in film. Um, yes. they are prop makers, especially. I, I will admit to another bias. They, uh, made largely, uh, in, as part of making this film, they made a thing called the Angel Box, which is basically, uh, the Call of Cthulhu told in prop form, which back when I had more money than cents, I bought one, and flipping good it is too, though it costs rather a lot of money. Um, I'm mm. hoping my kids discover it in my attic one day and become suitably terrified. Uh, you you, you must, of course, add some of your own uh, typable blood to it. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually written a, a little supplement, sadly enough, which is to translate the Dag book from... Um, Barely uh, understandable English into English. Anyway. <laughs> so, th- this is The Call of Cthulhu, and this was done as a silent film. And the idea being that Lovecraft was a cutting-edge author of his time, so they would make a film as if it was made at the time that The Call of Cthulhu was published, mm. which would have been a silent film. And, yeah, so we, we've talked previously about the artist, which is taking the silent film but also playing with the ideas this this does it basically straight it's playing it, uh, the artist yeah uh, does it in a different way because it takes a slightly modern not entirely modern but here is just this is what if instead of a short story what if lovecraft was a screenwriter and managed to get this made as a silent film instead 
So I, th- I think the first thing to con- consider is that this is a very accurate um, representation of the story. Uh, it's certainly the most... And I wanted to briefly discuss this, because um, the films we're discussing today uh, are, I think, broadly all more... more um, uh, faithful adaptations than any of the ones we had in the pre- previous Lovecraft, but I, I don't. Um, yeah, I, I, the, the, these these all basically follow the plots of the stories that they're based on. And I'm trying to resist the kind of nerdy thing of taking that as a virtue, and I'm trying to ignore <laughs> that um, and just look at them as films because there's a part of me that's like, oh well, this is this is different to the story, and therefore that's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. They're films. They're just trying to be a piece of filmic entertainment. So I am trying to divorce myself from how faithful or not they are. I may come back to that later. I, however, I think I'm likely to as well. But yeah, so. <laughs> In terms of its placement in history, I, I think, hmm, are they going by when it was written or when it was published? Because it, it was published in, in um, February 28 in Weird Tales, the, the, the story of the Call of Cthulhu. And by 28, we're getting much more naturalistic acting than the quite stylized thing we see here. We're even getting some of the, some of the early talkies. Yeah, this, the style here is, um, uh, well, there's certainly some kind of feel of German expressionism in it. There's a feel mm. uh, in some of it of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It, it's very uh, old filmic makeup used in a lot of it. I, I, I agree. It feels very much like a film of the early 20s rather than the late 20s. Yeah, that's also uh, back reference episode 54 when we, talk, when we uh, talked about Nosferatu. So. Oh, yes. Exa- yes, yeah. And it's... Um, uh, it feels more like that style of film than, as you say, a more sophisticated. Well, uh, sorry, uh, that's perhaps not the so, way. So, so it, poss- possibly it should have been dated a little earlier, but yeah, it, it works on its own terms, I think. So what we, I mean, the 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 first problem that you immediately think is that um, Lovecraft never met um, <laughs> an adjective um, that he didn't like. Um, uh, he's extreme. I wouldn't say purple prose because actually Lovecraft can handle that kind of prose pretty well, hmm. but he's very, very wordy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then to translate that to a silent film with flashcards, how well is that going to work? Um, and I, I well, I, uh, I think the answer is relatively well. Hmm. I mean, you don't get the impression that you do from reading the prose or of the, the, these, these great tumbling masses of words, but you, you wouldn't get that any, in any film version, I think. No, and I think trying to match that is, 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 is foolish. So, so we have, uh, a, a really quite accurate, straight laced adaptation of the story. So, which is, um, um, Epistolary, I, I think, for the most part, or, uh, the story is really one man correlating all the contents in the famous phrase of putting together all these stories and, and realizing something dreadful about the universe, namely that there are these beings that have survived, uh, that were present before man, will survive after man, and um, mankind is essentially unimportant in the universe and it's that mm. realization that destroys him coupled with a giant octopus squid dragon creature um called cthulhu well it's um uh i th- i think it starts uh, this is really short film it's 45 minutes or mm. something like that um i don't i i think the fact that it's a silent film i think they manage very well it's it almost works a bit like a 
you would almost think that would limit the amount of information that comes across, but it works a little like a comic strip. It uses, you know, the visuals are shorthand. It doesn't have to explain any of that. The words are uh, uh, a pretty quick, um, a pretty concise, um, and pretty accurately get across. Um, uh, the meaning of the of the characters and the phrase the acting is all very um early 20th century wide-eyed and um uh, again there the, there was a more naturalistic style coming in by the time this is supposedly being made but mm. yeah but i think it's pretty efficient is the word i've been <laughs> desperately searching for mm. the whole of my last last waffle it, it it gets across the storytelling pretty well pretty quickly um for those of you who know the story well, um, it does it misses a few bits, but I, I don't think it, it misses anything particularly important. Um, we have um, was it? Um, it's not Andrew Lehman. It's uh, is it Sean Branny as uh, Wilcox? Um, uh, or um, yeah, I may I, I have don't missed. have the cast to hand. Okay, uh, but it's uh, it's it's pretty efficient in getting across. It. It's, it was actually I have since we did the last Lovecraftathon visited Providence. Um, at Lovecraft's hometown. So I've seen the Fleur de Lis building. It was lovely, uh, which features semi-prominently in the Call of Cthulhu. It's lovely mm. to see it actually filmed um, as Wilcox's home. Um, so it actually, uh, parts of this, at least, must have been filmed in Providence. Um, it's good. I mean, as a film, does it work on its own term? It's very hard for me to divorce the fact from me knowing and loving the story of Call of Cthulhu um, from the film. Does it does it work as a film on its own terms? I think so. I mean, the the story is what well, basically three sub stories. You you've got yeah. the 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 um, artist yes. um, with, with, with his weird dreams. Uh, you've got the idol and and the Cthulhu cult in Louisiana. Yes, and and you've got the whole business with the ship, and then the sort of framing device tying it all together. Um, the 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 business with the ship being the, the raising of uh, Rullier and the actual arrival of um, Cthulhu. Um, that's, that is where, I mean, this is an extremely low budget film, like really low budget, to, to the, like below primer levels, I think, of, uh, of, of mm. budget. Um, well, I, I think that's the thing you can do when you have among your number a whole bunch of people who are already competent at acting and being a being a camera operator and set building and directing and, and, and so prop, yes so you, you, you can just say hey guys come and help rather than i mean, i i suspect from, from a legal point of view they did make sure that they, that they were getting paid or profit share or something um, but I, there were a lot of favors pulled i, I yeah. think <laughs> um it, it, I, it, I, it helps to know people and say hey we got this fun thing come and help I think both of us may be anachronisms or slightly weird in that there is nothing about silent movies that all black and white movies that in any way put us off. In fact, we probably quite like it. Um, hmm. uh, so I, I think it, it gets the story across very well. Um, I, uh, for me, it works very well until Cthulhu arrives. That was always going to be a hard thing. They don't show this dragon creature as much uh, really uh, what am I trying to say? They, they show him perhaps more than they should do. They perhaps could have um, mm. kept him a bit quieter. He, he's kind of a stop motion um, or it is kind of a stop motion uh, rubbery thing 
uh, and it does, as with most, uh, in keeping with a lot of films of the era, the minute the monster turns up in his kind of rubbery plasticky suit or whatever, it does lose something. And that's where Lovecraft's prose is never going to fall down because he, he's very good at not describing things and leaving it to your imagination. Mm. In a historical context, I mean, Helena Smith Dyson was doing uh, clay animation in 1917, so. So it, it's perfectly acceptable. It, it, it's within the plausible techniques of the day. It's got, it's not, I mean, it, it seems a bit chilly <laughs> to say they're not doing uh, Ray Harryhausen here because it's, you know, because there was only one Ray Harryhausen. Well, we'll come back to it. I mean, I, I think it is legitimate in the sense of this would, would have been a technique that was usable at the time. They, they do step outside that sometimes. Um, if you have used, uh, I think it's Adobe After Effects, that there is a filter called Film Look, which puts the vertical bars on, vertical stripes on some of the frames, and they use that very heavily. And when I first watched it with a friend who, who was uh, working in the business at the time, he said, oh yeah, yeah, I know the Film Look settings for that. <laughs> okay, so as soon as you recognise that, it takes you out of it a bit. Um, uh, I, what, I... what I do love, uh, two things, and they're both physical things. Um, the, the Lier set, all, all those angled blocks, mm. and you can't do utterly alien geometry that hurts your brain to look at it. Because the FBI won't let you release it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I, there is one moment in the story where someone basically is swallowed up by an angle that shouldn't be there. Mm. They do a pretty good job of doing a filmic version of that I thought in here. And, and because the style of the day was very much on uh, based on static cameras rather than moving ones uh, it, it's not surprising that that camera which can't move to make the shot work doesn't move <laughs> exactly, so yeah, yeah. I, I do really like that uh, Relier is the, is the set that is most inspired by sort of expressionism and Caligari and that, all that sort of thing but it, it does it works really well my, my favourite actual Visual bit though, and I, other people don't seem mostly to agree with this, but, but the idol that the swamp cult has, which is not the, you know, classic squid face thing. It, it's again a bit more, um, I don't know, is it, you could argue a bit, there's a bit of deco on there. It, to me, uh, it looks a bit too art deco because it looks a bit like it's been designed in the twenties, which doesn't quite work for me mm. with the history of it. That's fair. I mean, just it may well not work in context, but just as a physical thing, yeah. You know, if if they were selling off the props, that is the one that I would want. I very nearly bought that one too. <laughs> it, is, it is a thing of beauty, absolutely. Um, contextually, it doesn't quite work for me. I do um, my own. Um, Idol uh, love is reserved for the ones uh, that uh, feature in the, the kind of flashback to the 1800s and the um, the native uh, Arctic tribes, where mm. it's kind of a long uh, carved walrus tusk or something. That is, mm. yeah. yeah, I really like that one. But they're they're, they're lovely props. Um, as a story, how do you feel it works um, on film? I think it does work. I mean. You, you need to do a little bit of work putting it together. There's, there's a thing that I think would probably not have happened in a period film, which I, I, I can't say it didn't happen. I, that somebody will doubtless come along and say, yeah, yeah, it happens with this. But the, the double flashback, you know, we've gone from the frame yeah. story to his uncle telling him about it to the, uh, a, whoever, it, the, 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 the prof's flashback to the, uh, to the Professor idiot. Angel, um, who then has a flashback of his own, yes, to the, the, uh, and then we have a flashback within that. So we have a flashback of Professor Angel 
talking about the the society where Inspector Legrasse turns up, and then within that we have a flash. Is that almost a triple flashback? We have a flashback of one of the other professors to his um, mm. experience of the the uh, the tribes in in the Arctic Circle. So, I mean, to a modern viewer, this obviously presents no no special difficulties. It's all reasonably well well signalled as what's happening, but um, I don't. I'm, I'm possibly leaning too hard on this conceit of it being a lost contemporary film, which yeah, they, they did that's... to a certain extent, but they they didn't go as obsessively all out on it as one might have hoped, given who uh... they are. <laughs> and, and to be <laughs> well, fair, who I am. Well, to some extent, if you're going to do it, you would want to do it perfectly. I, I think they came close, but I, I agree with you. I I have, we'll come back to it, I think when we talk about the HPLS, the second film, which mm. I think um, but here, I, I think it, it does work very well, and you have to work a bit harder to see any of the cracks. Um, as a story, like I, the reason I fell in love with the story, I was all, always a fan of the, the role playing game. But mm. I fell in love with the story one night driving into Cornwall. <laughs> um, it was a stormy, dark night, and I had bought um, a tape of Garrick Hagen. Um, who plays Wedge Antilles in the Star Wars films, but he was doing an audio drama, not an audio drama, an audio book version of The Call of Cthulhu. It's mm. just done so well that my memory of it is driving across Dartmoor as this horror unfolded of this story that I'd largely forgotten, just piecing together. It just became one of my favourite stories. Um, and I, I, the The film doesn't quite hit me in that way, in that existential terror kind of way um, possibly because of the, the Cthulhu monster at the end but that's perhaps unfair, again I'm criticising for what it doesn't do but I, I think it doesn't quite succeed as Lovecraft's prose does to make it uh, the story that I want it to be. It's very difficult for me to remember a time when I did not know the story, it was one of the first I read when I was 15, 16, something like that so, you know, I'm going in knowing pretty well the, the, the layout. So I, I can't really say how effectively I would be able to assemble it if I didn't know the story. I think that's fair. Um, I think that's probably true of, of both of us. Um, but as a, as a film, it works pretty well as a, mm. as a sort of an, an artifact. Um, of a silent movie era film. I agree. It, there are moments that feel anachronistic. Um, it, you wouldn't quite believe that this film was made in 1920. Well, the other thing is faces have changed. I mean, uh, uh, what's the, the, the ship's captain, the captain of the, uh, Emma? Um, anyway. Jo- Johansson. Oh, no, not, not Johansson because he's the mate. He, he actually looks yeah. quite plausible. Yes. Um, but I, I find it difficult to think of a, of a captain with long curly hair like that. I mean, he, he, he would <laughs> yeah. have it cut short or he would be getting teased and or beaten up at every port he went to. <laughs> so. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh. But yeah, I, I like it. Oh yeah. Um, female roll count. I, I see two here. I mean, that's in keeping with uh, <laughs> what are we talking about faithful to Lovecraft stories? There's a, basically throughout his whole oeuvre, there's one or two main female characters. Um, and a lot of those, a surprising number, a surprising percentage of those one or two characters have been taken over by male personalities anyway. Um, mm. So, yeah. So here we've got uh, Johansson's widow, which I oh, guess yeah. is a speaking role. She has one line. Uh, I mean, to be fair, nobody has a speaking role because it's a yeah. <laughs> silent movie. Yeah, she, she, but, ha- yeah. she has one caption. Uh, 
<laughs> and and there's the um whoever it is who's looking after the specimen in Australia. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah. Obviously a memorable character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think she's named. But yeah, I I will I will admit this is this has its problems, but I but I do quite enjoy it and being 45 minutes doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It's it's in our wheelhouse. It it does the job. In some ways, it's a bit too familiar for both of us, I think it's fair to say, but uh, very good at what it does. And we'll discuss them, bring them all together at the end, but certainly this one I'd prefer to both Reanimator and um, uh, Dagon. Hmm. So we'll move on to... Uh, will this be the second of our HPLHS? Um, well, not quite. Oh, we're going to uh, break it up with so, the... Defab, uh-huh. uh, which is a German, mo- mostly in, Ger- it, it, it was shot in Germany. It's, uh, an adaptation of the color out of space, uh, as you all know, if you know German. Um, and, okay, this, this has a, a, a specific gimmick, which I, I thought was great when I first heard about it. I think it overplays it, but, but it, it is a lovely idea that the film is in black and white. Except for the colour. The colour outer space. And the, the story briefly is that a colour land from outer space uh, on a meteorite uh, in a remote farm in the story in um, uh, West Germany, somewhere I think, or somewhere in, in Black Forest type area. Um, and uh, basically poisons and kills the farming family there, but in particularly alien and unpleasant ways. The colour is... It's what—it's lovely for Lovecraft to describe a colour that no one's ever seen before. It's a bit hard to represent that on film. Um, but as you say, it's a great idea to have a black and white film, and the only spot of colour is the colour. And I think this is, this is quite a widely adapted story. Because um, Die Monster Die is loosely based on it. Um <laughs> Uh, that's not a German film, The Monster The, is it? No, no, this is a um, <laughs> okay. 1965 uh, late Boris Karloff role. Um, oh, yes, yes, I've, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. But there's also uh, The Curse, 1987, which modernises it, but, yeah. It, it go, goes a bit off track at the end, as, as they tend to. There was Colour from the Dark, which I haven't seen. That's, that's an uh, Italian production. And, and um, there's there's annihilation. I mean, the the, the uh, Jeff Vandermeer novel is explicit uh, is not explicitly based on on the color out of space, but the films certainly takes a lot from it. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, I've seen the film, which I'm um, uh, less impressed with. And there is at least one other adaptation uh, about which more later. Yeah, um, I, uh, I I will. Uh, as we're discussing the film, and I've professed my love for the Call of Cthulhu, I do think of Lovecraft's kind of classic oeuvre, this is one of my least favourite. I still like it, because I like all of them, but it's a bit of a downer, um, a bit of a downer for a Lovecraft story, in the sense that it just kind of, there's not really any surprises or any piecing together of existential threats, or any, it is just, these people are poisoned by an unknowable, horrible force, and they all die. That's mm. kind of the story. Yeah. Um, and this this is about twice as long as the HPLHS called Luke of Thule, so you've yes, got to do something with that. Now, the the first thing that struck me was, I, I don't know what the budget was like on this, but it doesn't look like a cheap film. 
Yeah, they're, they're, to me, they're, they're not repeating the locations. You know, we, we, we walk across different fields, not the same field every time. <laughs> My assumption was that it was low budget, but I agree. And I, I don't know quite why I assume that, because I agree it doesn't feel like that. Maybe it's because... Uh, uh, well, I don't know quite why I felt it was low budget, because I agree, <laughs> it, looks, it, look, it doesn't look um, ultra-budget either, mm. Um but it's yeah, it works well. I get a complaint again about yeah, you know, especially in Germany in the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties, you do not have long hair like that, mate. Not <laughs> not if you're a farmer. If, if you're one of those bohemian poets in Berlin, maybe, but <laughs> but not not out in the world. Yeah. Um, it's a slightly odd framing device. Um, we'll yeah, because we, we've we've device. got a flashback to from more or less present day. Yes. Or, or at least, well, yeah. So, what is it? Sort of thirty, forty years later. Yeah. So, so, so this, like this is 90s. set in in the, yeah. The, the flashback is before the war, mm. um, and and the framing story is some decades after it. Modern era, um, if it's not quite modern day. Um, it's slightly. I tried not to be too irked by uh, because this probably irks every other language when Americans try and do other people's accents, but it's quite clear. The scenes set in America uh, are acted by Germans trying to do an American accent. Yeah, partic- like... particularly the guy, um, I've, I've lost the name, but um, the, the, the one who's actually travelling to investigate yes. what happened what happened to his relative. Uh, he, he has quite a lot of lines in English and he sounds like a German trying to speak English. Exactly, yeah, which uh, if they just explained that in the plot, that would have been better, but having him... As a native, uh, not a native American, uh, um, a native-born American, um, mm. trying to, it, yeah, didn't quite work. But then we got to Germany, and I stopped worrying because it was all in German with subtitles after that. Yeah. And th- there are things that I think work very well here. Um, that the, the film adds to the story. Um, yes. The difficulty of admitting that anything is wrong. You know, it's that sort yes. of very masculine. We don't talk about our feelings culture. So, yes. you, you, so e- even when somebody says, you know, I can help, um, so no, no, everything's fine. You know, I, 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 it's my farm. It's my household. I solve my own problems. It's, it's definitely the thinking going on there. And, you, and one can see how that would work, even as things are clearly getting very out of hand. Uh, and by the time they got so out of hand, it's too late. It's, it's far too late. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that works. I think uh, it's surprising how similar kind of the feeling of, I forget where the Lovecraft stories said, but it's backwards, Vermont or um, uh, somewhere like that. Mm. Um, probably not Vermont because that's Whisper in Darkness, but, um, but somewhere along those lines. Uh, but it feels very appropriate for the, uh, this um, pre-war Germany as well. Um, uh, west I, of Arkham is, is the canonical. West of Arkham. All right. Well, we can call it Vermont, then, <laughs> I guess, um, or um, West Massachusetts. But it, it captures that kind of, well, as you say, that kind of proud, uh, bordering on foolish mentality. I think what the film nails that I didn't realise I I liked so much about the story, having just said it's one of my least favourite stories. It really captures the atmosphere of gloom. And decay, and um, we we are barely surviving farmers in the middle of nowhere. One but one bad harvest will wipe us out. Exactly, and this is before the the colour. We, we have no um, expectation of things getting better. 
Yeah, hopelessness, it, it, perhaps. Is and I, I suspect this this may be simply a, a result of it being a film made in Germany by Germans, but you know, the, the the war is there, but it's very much in the background. Yeah, yeah, we have... Um, uh, well, the framing device has a... Uh, an American general, which is also, or American uh, captain, I think he is, uh, comes sort of inserts himself into the story, which is beyond the events of the story play out pretty much as they do. It's it's a pretty faithful mm. adaptation for the middle, the, the the central block of the story. Basically, the farmer's wife uh, goes utterly insane. The children, yeah, please note, one female part, non-speaking, one female part, <laughs> moaning yeah, a bit. <laughs> there is a bit of gibbering, um, and then one child ends up in the well. The other, I can't remember what happens in the story, but they, they basically just disappear. And then the the uh, uh, the farmer is left uh, basically trying to pretend he still has a family, but he's he's totally insane and ultimately dead. And and that is exactly what happens here. Um, but then we have this framing device of the son trying to work out what happened to his father, and his father was the captain who sort of encountered this story and at for, the close of the Second World War. For undefined reasons, he has come back. Yeah, that this that framing device didn't work. So uh, now you pointed out to me in the end we have a series of flashbacks which kind of switch characters around a little bit. Yes, so, um, uh, is, is it Pierce in the original? Yeah. Um, in, in this is, is Pierska. Um, so, yes. uh, the, the son goes and finds him and, and gets the, gets the story from him and that flashback forms the body of the film, as you say. Um, yes. After the son has left, we get a different flashback suggesting, uh, suggesting to me at least, that, um, yeah, he he's been telling this as this happened to my neighbours, but actually, it happened but to the, him? but it but it's a few key scenes are reshot, so it looks as if it happened to him. Yes, uh, now I actually, I it just didn't occur to me that might actually be what happened because, frankly, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> on a moment's reflection because mm. he he isn't dead and he didn't I, it just doesn't quite work for me and so i just dismissed it as a possibility i i saw the flashback but i didn't even consider it because i thought well it doesn't really make any sense so i just mm. i don't know it is all quite ambiguous anyway so yeah yeah i feel like it feels like it's supposed to be like revelatory and turn the whole film on its head but it doesn't for me, at least, it just makes me well. F- well, so if you assumed that flip uh, in the characters, did that change the texture of the film for you? Did I it? don't no. think so. That's the no, thing. That, I think that's where I come down on it. Really, it feels like. And, and similarly, we have another kind of slightly ambiguous ending with the father, and um, he's in the car, and we don't know quite. What's he he seems him. to be more or less catatonic, but but he's he's standing there in the woods, and and the, the son finds him and takes him away and uh, is he going to recover uh why did he go there in the first place why why was he drawn back to it decades later we we just it's just never mentioned yes which which seems a bit of a shame i mean you you, you're winding up all these interesting things and then just leaving them there i feel that i think uh in in the parlance that it didn't quite stick the landing this film but Hmm. then the 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 story itself is a difficult one to end on just um that everybody dies, but then I don't know quite what they added to it with this framing device. So for me, Di Faber, um, 
absolutely nails the atmosphere. And as a mood piece, I thought it was fantastic. Mm. Um, we haven't discussed the colour itself yet. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised by my reaction watching it this time. Um I, I love the little doses of the colour. You know, here is this black and white shot with these, these little pinky purpley glows in it. Almost not quite coloured at all. It's so faint that you don't quite notice it. Yeah. You do. It's well done. Yeah. But then we get the big, the big obvious stuff. And to me, that works less well. You know, we, we've got here, here is a, you know, full screen visual effect of the, the blobs coalescing together or the yeah. whole thing tearing the roof off the, ha- off the farmhouse and going back to the stars or, yeah. It looks just like very subpar CGI, CGI at that point and doesn't quite, you know, it's the easiest possible thing to animate is a blob. Um, and it just doesn't quite, doesn't quite work. Maybe if they'd done, I don't know how they would, but if they'd done some, they could have done some really clever work with the lighting to have that kind of lighting. I don't know what, uh, what year was this one really? Uh, 2010. So I bet, I bet it was possible to do, but it, it didn't, yeah, it didn't quite, the colour itself, which is largely, um, outside the main body of the story, but not quite, um, doesn't, doesn't quite work. Yeah, and the, the problem is it does rest to, to a certain extent for, for dramatic energy on, on these big impressive, you know, here, here, here are our, our surviving characters. Here, here is the captain looking down the well. Here, here, yeah. here is uh, the captain and Pierce, uh, see, seeing the color reassembling itself and going off and whatever. And that, that is basically the dramatic climax of the flashback. And. Yeah. It, to me, at least, it felt like a bit of a letdown, which is a shame. Uh, I, I've, I'm not sure could could one do it a bit more subtly, perhaps. I don't. But, know. I mean, it strikes me to, that both... to some extent. You know, it's a monster film. You have got to show the monster eventually, at least a bit. I, I think people feel cheated if you don't. And to some extent, um, it feels like both the films we've talked about so far have fallen down on the bit where Lovecraft cheats and says, "Well, it's unknowable. It's undescribable. <laughs> it's unnameable," um, which works brilliantly in your imagination. But when you have to film the bloody thing, um, hmm. it's a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, just, just considering the story, I, I think you you have played my um, adventure that's an homage to to the color out of space. I have, yes. I think I played it at um, a, a convention with a, a group of unsuspecting. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I must admit that of all the uh, Lovecraft adventures I've written, it comes closest to a bunch of things happen in front of you and you watch. It's very good. Don't do yourself that. It's very good. But <laughs> we, um, I mean, there, there are other many much more successful adventures that do that. Um, <laughs> yes, it, I, I prefer to be a bit more interactive if possible. But yeah, it's a hard thing to interact with the color or the the things. Yeah, that I it mean, does ba- basically you you can not be where it is, or you can be where it is and get poisoned by it. And I suppose I've said poisoned, but uh, it can be taken. The, the, the thing about the colour is, I suppose it can be and probably has been taken as a metaphor for kind of decay or it's that kind of thing that is you can put the color you can put into the color whatever you like in the sense it could be a metaphor for drug use or uh, moral decay or it's that kind of thing i mean i don't know if lovecraft was a particularly big fan of metaphors but you can use it that way uh, but here it's taken quite literally which i don't have I, a problem with i think so i'm go- going by some some of his comments i i think what he was trying to do was Get away from the other science fictional. Oh, you know they have, they have two arms and two legs and one head. Or let's let's be daring and have, give them two heads. 
uh, <laughs> and, and try to produce a genuinely alien alien that you know you, you can't even tell what it is. Well, that, and Lovecraft at his best, you know, all these stories, they reference his other stories, but they're all incredibly imaginative new things. This did first appear in Amazing Stories, Not Weird Tales. It was published as okay. a science fiction story. I, I think fair enough, too. It's a certain type of science fiction story. Um, so I, as far as the film goes, sounds like we're, we're broadly of the same minds, that it, it, it works very well, but, but the framing device is a bit wonky. And we were both sadly more disappointed by the colour, I hadn't seen Defarber before, I think you had, mm, but yeah. I loved the idea of doing the colour more than I seeing it in action. It's amazing how quickly you got used to, oh, there's just pink on this black and white. It didn't quite look alien in the way it sounds like it might. When it first appears, it, it is alien, and then yeah. then it goes away for a bit, and then when it appears, it's, it's alien again, though maybe a bit less so. I, yeah. I, I got perhaps a bit overloaded by it, but yeah. Yeah, so, I think maybe overplays it a bit. Uh, uh, we, okay. we move on another year to the other HBLHS film, The Whisper in Darkness. Uh, disappointingly much longer film. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, this, this one's up to 143. Now this feels like a much more ambitious project, a much bigger project. This has been done in the style of... Um, I don't, the Whisper in Darkness came out after Call of Cthulhu, but not... not yeah, thir- 31, so into the talkie era, but yeah. But it feels like a different era of film. Where we were talking about the early 20s, this now feels like a mid-30s. Um, well, uh, and other things that we'll come to. Uh, yes, yeah. But it, that's clearly the style it's going for, almost like... I, I think the style it was going for is like the universal horror pictures feel of, mm. you know, crackling electricity and mad scientists and uh, dark things... Um, and I say I think that perhaps betrays the fact that I feel like it's not entirely successful at that. I, when I first saw this, I was disappointed simply because I really enjoyed the hot, the silent yeah. Call of Cthulhu, and this wasn't that. But, yeah, fair enough. Let, let, let us put that aside. I, it does... Hmm, I think it would probably be true to say this is one of the least precise adaptations that we're dealing with. Certainly in this episode, um, reanimated. Um, Particularly at the end. Uh, So the Whisper in Darkness, again, a quick summary, is Mm, um, a folklore professor um, is um, having a pen pal correspondence effectively with um, uh, an... is he a farmer? He's, he's a folklorist himself out in the backwoods of Vermont who claims to have met these peculiar creatures um, and sends photos and some evidence and then one day mysteriously says, oh no, all is better now, please come along and bring all the evidence you have with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's it's done much better than that. But then, Well, he, you know, it, it was acceptable in those days not to be genre savvy. <laughs> yes, I mean, the, 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 I may have mentioned this before. There is an early Doctor Who in which somebody says to somebody else, "Yes, when I turn in, in this report, I'm afraid it's going to destroy your company, but um, I'll, I'll do that when I get back from the holiday I'm about to go on, um, <laughs> go, go for a few weeks off on my own. Nobody knows where I'm going to be or when to expect me back." Bye. <laughs> but yeah, okay. But yeah, well, that, uh, that, that, uh, that's practically suicide. Uh, spoiler: Don't do that in real life. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> um. Anyway, he goes and, and talks to the the man, or thinks he does, but the the big twist ending, and this one 
it does have a twist ending is that um, he wasn't talking to um, his friend. After all, he was talking to one of the alien creatures. He was uh, using alien technology and a rubber face mask has um, fooled him um, into thinking. It, it goes into much more science fiction territory. These beings come from Yogoth, which is Pluto. And they have the technology to take out humans' brains and carry them in brain cylinders along to uh, show them wonders amongst the stars. Um, spoilers, it turns out it's not that much fun having your brain taken out. It's, it's, they, they get a bit missold. That's the summary of the story in slightly flippant terms. Hmm. Whisperer adds a lot of stuff to that story. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we've got, uh, there's a lot more, exp- I think it, all, all of it's expanded, but particularly at the end. Um, the, 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 the big wallop, the thing, the thing that Lovecraft saves for the final paragraph in the story is, uh, and, and it's a double flashback, so he could put it right at the end of the story, is, when I looked at where Akeley had been lying, I, I saw his, his discarded face and hands that the creature had obviously been manipulating. Yes. The big shock horror, yes. Um, whereas that is, um, it's a, it's, it's just sort of another sort of jump scare in the film in a way. But that's, that's probably wise in the sense that, uh, if you had that as the pivotal M line, uh, M Night Shyamalan twist at the end of the film, well, one, everyone knows the story. Um, uh, well, uh, everyone who's likely to be watching this film, <laughs> frankly, um, knows the story. And two, it's just not that, Exciting a twist in and of it, so it's too predictable. Um, particularly, we, the way we've already established that you know you, you, your brain does not need to be in your body after all. Yeah, and also it what, what once again what works in a Lovecraft story where there's a man sort of sitting in the darkness whispering at you. It's very hard to not make that look weird enough that you're thinking that's not the guy. Um, when and you, you, when you, you you've got to see a guy's it. face. After yeah, exactly. So here we have a we have an actor. It's not like a rubber mask stuck on a crab, um, <laughs> which might have been one way of doing it. Um, but it, it, even then, he's weird enough that you're pretty you've got a pretty good idea what's going on um, right from the outset. We have a, a long opening um, segment where Charles Fort crops up and they discuss um, these creatures out in Vermont. Um, I I felt personally. This film took much longer to get going, um, mm. and it's a lot wordier. It's interesting, a lot better. Act- we have the same principal actor, Matt, uh, not Matt Frewer, because he's um, <laughs> much older. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's Max Headroom, I'm much older. But it's the same principal actor as Call of Cthulhu, um, uh, a bit more bewigged in this one. Um, and he's, he's, he's a good actor, but it slightly took me out of it that it is the same uh, guy. Um, hmm. I, I thought he looked sufficiently different that I, I didn't get distracted by it. But. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, that's a that's a fair point. But it's a, there's a lot of kind of miscatonic university politics. Um, uh, there's a lot more kind of attempts. At, well, not a lot more, but there are some more attempts at characterization than Lovecraft bothered <laughs> to put in, in the sense that we have. Uh, we have a, a vague backstory that he's lost his wife and child um, hmm. to the, the Spanish flu. Um, it felt a bit screenwriting 101 to me that we're just going to put this in. Uh, so make make it personal. 
Yeah, exactly. And I know Aliens does it, and we love Aliens with Ripley and Newt, but here... That was the first time I saw it, I suppose, and here, you know, we have a, a young girl character in which rapidly becomes the kind of surrogate daughter. Um, this is a, a speaking female role. It's a speaking female. <laughs> first one we've Very had, Very really. well acted, and, and nicely yeah. done. Um, uh, and it tries to wrong-foot you a little bit, in that we have the tender moment where he's like, uh, would you like me to sing you that song now? And she says, No. Um, but it, it felt oh, like she doesn't have any dreams. She's made of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like an odd scene, though, in the sense that I don't know. He comes across as slightly creepy in a way, or I don't know. I, I didn't quite work for me the characterisation. It, it, it's difficult to portray. You know, it, this, is, this is somebody who's under a lot of stress. He, he is definitely starting to break down. And you, yeah, you're grabbing grabbing onto anything that seems familiar. I think. Yeah, but, but I, I think, it's hard to portray effectively. Uh, how do should we um, break it down to? How did you feel the whisperer? So the big set piece of the book is the the whisperer moment of of him explaining. How did that feel in the, in well, the film? That that's I, I I will admit I was a bit distracted because I think again that this is this is where them being prop builders works against them. Okay. Because we've we've got not not just the brain cylinder with vaguely described equipment plugged into it, but actual equipment that we see, yes, which includes specifically um, a pair of glo- glowy uh, cylinders, which which are mm. clearly in effect the eyes. And the problem yeah, they... is they they look so very very much like yeah this this is this is an LED torch from early twenty ten. I, I I own a similar one. <laughs> But even the aesthetic of it, which surprised me, they look like something that should have been plonked on the top of a uh, a robot from the 1980s, uh, like short circuit style. It just, it didn't, they didn't look like 30s. If, if it had looked alien, genuinely yeah. alien, okay, yes. possibly that would be quite hard, then that could have been good. If yes. it had looked like a 30s idea of alien, that would have been good, but it doesn't do either of those things for me, and I, 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 I do agree. find it distracting. Yes. Um, similarly, for me, you know, we have this, uh, so you kind of plug in the, <laughs> uh, it's distractingly like a stereo plug to plug into the brain mm-hmm. socket. So I found that took me out of it a bit as well. But you plug in the ears and the yeah, eyes. You, and then you, you... you can't get the contact bandwidth with a mere two connectors. You really want something in parallel. I mean, <laughs> well, I th- Ethernet. Come on. That's the thing. It looked close enough to a headphone jack that it gets you thinking along those lines, mm. really. Um, but also, you know, we have the, and it's a nice visual effect that we have, like, they basically get a hologram of them, of, of whoever you're talking to appearing when they talk. But it just, um, that looked like too good an effect for a 30s film. It looks like a digital overlay, which is obviously what it was. But it just—I'm not saying it was a great effect, but it just—it didn't look like something you would have got in your 30s film. And also, the, this is one of the places where it both uh, diverts from the story and, and I think, becomes more heavy-handed. Uh, the, the 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 arguing with our argument amongst the cultists, one of whom is uh, is in the jar. Yes. And then eventually they murder him because he won't cooperate. Yeah, by by, by t- turning a knob that does something, it, it doesn't look fun. Fries the brain. It makes them very obviously and humanly evil. Yes, and I think the the, the great virtue of the Lovecraft story is this: this is weird and alien, but it seems at least plausible. 
Yeah, they're interesting characters. The 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 fungi from Yugoth, the Migo, because they're not they're not kind of flat out. Well, you know, Cthulhu's not evil so much as he gives no shits. Whereas they are a bit more they're a bit more understandable, the Migo, um, but not kind of definitely alien, uh, not definitely evil in the same way. I I agree. Um, I did like the bit. It played with it at one moment where he's talking to his old. Well, it's it's not his old friend, but Wilmarth, the protagonist, is talking to uh, the professor that he thinks he's been talking to all along. And he isn't telling him what he wants, and he reaches towards the brain-frying nozzle thing, um, Hmm. the brain-frying cylinder. And so, you know, he's actually going to start torturing him. And I thought that was a nice little, it's completely understandable under the stress he's in, but there was just a little kind of grey area moment. It didn't really build on it. Yeah, though Lovecraft did not have a conversation with Cylinder Akeley. No, that was completely. And I, uh, I think when you, when you're being more obvious about your narrative than H.P. Lovecraft, you should <laughs> you should at least take take a long look at the road that has led you here. Uh, and then, yeah, so following that, we have this almost like pulp style uh, flight over Vermont well, with the Migo uh, attacking. But, well, before that. Uh, well, oh yeah, yeah. Because I, I I put in my notes. My word, that's a very bright torch. Uh, <laughs> b- yes. Because you know, um, I I don't know. Maybe you young people that never used a torch with an incandescent bulb in it. But <laughs> e- even in the 1970s, they weren't great. And, the, and the, I, I have used 1930s torches. They're, they're you know two and a half glowworms. Now we you, have. You, you might actually use. You prefer a carbide lamp that will be standard on a bicycle. It does get yeah. hot in use, but yeah, that that's the sort of thing you should be using. Not. I will in, instead, out. we've got this guy running through the darkness with this huge bright. <laughs> yes, the whole place. It, is, it well is daytime where I'm pointing this thing. Um, I will point out that. Um... We have complained about dark things happening in dark places and not understanding what was happening. So while I agree with you, I appreciated being able to see what was happening. (laughs) I did find the constant rain very distracting in the sense that I just... What it does to me is make me think, that poor actor's standing out there in the rain and they're just pouring (laughs) it on him. It takes me out of it slightly because you don't have to have it raining, but he was stuck there the whole time. He must have been very happy when he went in the cave. Anyway, it stopped raining when they went in the plane, so that was that was fine. Uh, uh, but then uh, the we we see the 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 hidden Migo base. You know, yes, we're, we're diverging quite a bit from the story here, obviously. Yes. Um, and again, that 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 stri- it, it feels more. 1950s yeah. style van. I th- yes, I feel like it was thing. going for Universal and it hit more sort of atomic horror kind of uh, Forbidden Planet style of valves and uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, and, I like, uh, the, I like they, the weird they, ladder that wasn't quite a ladder and wasn't quite. Yeah, a that scaffolding. that was lovely. Yes, but that 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 the the okay uh, the 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 cult leader. Uh, with, with that weird costume with the antenna on it. Okay, yes. that, that, that I could believe in Flash Gordon. Fair enough. I'm not going to argue <laughs> yes. with that. It was, it was a bit Ming, um, Ming style. Uh, Ming the Merciless, not Ming Dynasty. Um, I should point out. Uh, the, the Migo themselves, quite fun. Fun, not horrifying though. Uh, they're well, they're better than the Cthulhu in the original. Um, but I, they're, I'm they're not going to blame them for being a man in a suit. No, no, they're, they're crab men. I, I think they did work quite well. 
Um, because, but they're not supposed to have a horrifying appearance. They're supposed to look alien, I suppose, which they mm. do. So that works. And the the thing that struck me is, oh boy, this is really a gamer moment. Um, <laughs> the, the, there is this thing of the, 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 it has to be the right person to go through the portal first when it's opened and that will keep it open and let the Mego yeah. invade. And, yeah. and uh, our, our, our hero, uh, Wilmarth, um, basketball dunks Akeley's brain in a jar. <laughs> yeah. um, it does feel a bit like um, the players may have received this valuable of knowledge, and if they can do that, it, it felt a bit too too convenient, hand-wavy of me. This is how you're going to close the portal. I agree. Yeah, fair, fair point. Without a good reason for it, really, so it doesn't feel like anything other than this is how the players can foil the plot. Well, that's the thing. I mean, bo- both the plot and the foiling are added, so so they they don't have roots elsewhere in the story. Yeah. And if yeah. If, if there'd been more build up to the portal, then fair enough. But particularly with with, with the story in the back of my mind, I was thinking, okay, so th- this is the extra bit. Yes. Because exactly, yeah. Yeah, let us not forget. In the story, we have we have, we have a, a classic Lovecraftian protagonist who realizes that something weird is going on, gets scared, and runs away. <laughs> yes, I will grant yeah. you this is not an action-packed climax. Um, I, I don't I don't blame like... them for changing it. I just I just wasn't terribly impressed with the way they changed it. It felt yeah, it didn't feel like uh, a bit like we said with the color out of space. Really, it doesn't feel like it adds a lot to the core story uh, with Defarber, I should say doesn't add a lot to the core story and doesn't feel sufficiently different from other films that I've seen that are that it made much difference to me we, we and, and again as I've alluded to we have this kind of pulp flight over the hills of Vermont where the, the daughter character is disposed of we think I did, again I wasn't oh, she, she, she is overtly dropped yes yeah but then I don't know well, what I don't know is whether she survived or not. Sometimes you hit a tree and you're okay, um, but probably not. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's probably a Curtis Jenny, which is an entirely plausible aircraft at the time. I, yeah, Ro- <laughs> Rogers Aviation Corner, I do notice these things, but that, that, that is the thing they got right. You know, lo- lots of them were sold off after the war. They were very popular as barnstormers. It's an entirely plausible plane to be sitting in somebody's barn. Oh, good. I'm glad it passes the aviation uh, check. <laughs> um, I I suppose I'm trying to think. I'm having the same difficulty as I'm having with a number of these films. I'm trying to think. If I went to this film completely cold and didn't know the story, uh, it's really hard for me to know how much I would enjoy it. Um, uh, but I I think it would still have the same fundamental flaws in that it doesn't quite doesn't quite get across the true horror, and it's a little bit obvious in some places. Uh, and it's a bit long and talky. It's almost like they, we've got talkies now. Let's put a lot of, mm. let's put a lot of dialogue in. Whereas my memory of <coughs> third, I'm probably thinking more of forties and fifties films is that they're a bit punchier and more parsimonious with their dialogue. Yeah. Um, I, okay. I, I will admit I, I did. There, there were two, two other, um, things that were, were, were well, one of them would, was gorgeous, and the other one was clearly too expensive. Okay. But they kept it in anyway. Um, so there, there, there is a period Rolls Royce, which is just a beautiful oh, thing. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. But there is, there is a bit where, um, let's see, we've got Wil- Wilmarth supposedly meeting Akeley's nephew off the train, mm. and he isn't on the train. And yes. we, we get the train pulling in, and that's lovely, but there is also a long shot, and they could not 
clearly could not get a steam locomotive because that is very, very obviously a, a, a 1960s diesel electric. Oh. <laughs> it should come to every and we got them all over the place. It, it, it's a bit out of focus, but, you know, sorry, guys. Don't yeah. use the shot. It just looks wrong if it you know, and if you know your engines, if you don't know your engines, then you won't recognize it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I feel like it's, um, there were just a few too many anachronisms and it didn't quite hit what I think they were going for. I like it a lot. I, I would being a bit down on it. I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I do actually like all of these quite a lot. Yeah. 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 And it is. Uh, it's the least faithful of the ones we're talking about. It's still quite faithful. Again, I'm trying hard not to make that a virtue or a vice or anything. Mm. But I think in both Defaba and here, where it deviates, doesn't really add a lot. Neither of them really add a great deal to the original story. So, our last film for this episode, and I will admit this is probably why we decided to do a Lovecraft a Thorn <laughs> 2. Yes. Uh, yeah. Colour out of space. No V. Because we need more Nicolas Cage in our podcast. Evidently we do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we liked him a lot in Pig. Um, This is um, him uh, in, well, another adaptation of the Colour Out of Space. Mm. Um, And it's a colour adaptation. There are no... uh, uh, well, the colour here, I don't know why everyone thinks the colour needs to be a lurid pink, but it seems to be <laughs> the, the, the colour is what uh, what it is. But here we have, um, it's in some ways more faithful to the story, because it doesn't really have the framing device. Mm. Uh, it's just the story of the family and the farm. I mean, it, it's brought to modern day, but it is still basically, here are some people on a farm, things go wrong for them. Yeah, so in this case, they've not been there for generations. They've moved out there um, uh, relatively recently. They clearly weren't farmers all the time. So we have uh, the ever-wonderful... I'm just going to refuse about Nicolas Cage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was worried he'd be a bit over-the-top Nicolas Cage here. Um, And in some ways he is... Uh, but he is the. We could talk about that in a minute. But he's the um, the the man that the the farmer. We have Jolie Richardson as his wife. Um, Teresa. Teresa, uh, and she's uh, trying to desperately do video conferencing from <laughs> from the, from the roof, which is a, an addition to the story. Or, and then or, we have also the... psychologically dealing with having had a mastectomy. Um, yeah. Well, so this is the thing. You know, straight away we have things to talk about with these characters. Because they have got, they're pretty one slash two dimensional, but they have got some characteristics and some yeah. past. And I mean, some... it, it's it's yeah, as you say, it, it's straightforward. It's not complicated. Uh, so we, we've got Lavinia, good Lovecraftian name, um, definitely. Uh, who 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 is um, ba- basically try, trying to be a practical Wiccan, but the impression I'm getting is mostly from books rather than. Uh, from a community. Fair yes, enough. and it also feels like this is my version of teenage rebellion kind of hmm. <laughs> kind of way of doing it. But it, it's nicely done. Um, uh, we got we got Benny the the son who's a bit younger and a bit of a teenage stoner. Yes. And we got Jack who is the son who's a lot younger. Yes. The 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 thing that struck me was because there's I mean yes it's broad strokes characterization but it's there. The, yeah. These are not, you know, generic film moppet children. These are children who are people who happen to be a bit short. <laughs> yes, that's and and so enough. when their behaviour starts to shift, um, 
which it does for all of them, it, yes. it's noticeable. You know, the, 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 this, this is not, um, Nathan, we saw at the beginning of the film, this, this is clearly Nathan is degenerating a bit, even before the, the scary things start happening to him. He, he, you know, the, he and Teresa are both losing their tempers more readily, for example. Well, this is, I suppose, I'm so used to seeing films where you spend a bit of time with the and you could argue Whisperer does it, you spend a bit of time with the characters, um, get to know them a bit, and it always feels like a bit of a wasted time in a way, or it's just, it's not the most efficient storytelling, and I feel like, oh, I don't want to see this story again. But in retrospect, so I will admit to being a bit like, oh, seen this, it's still a bit uh, Hollywood by numbers. Mm. I think in retrospect, having seen the whole thing, I agree with you, here it's done well because we need to know the characters well enough to pick up the subtle and eventually not very subtle mm. <laughs> clues clues that something has gone seriously awry. With but them. that's the thing that as, as they they each individually break down, but they each individually break down in a way that is in tune with their own personalities as established. Yes, that, and I love that. You can't quite tell what's happening to them, but you can tell they're all going off the rails in their own unique ways. Yeah. And that's basically the story of it, really. It's a great excuse for Nicolas Cage to do some very Nicolas Cage thing. <laughs> so there was one moment... That yeah, so we, we definitely get the Cage rage here. We, there's one moment where... Um, uh, where he meets the kids uh, that I just felt was just a bit too much for me, where he suddenly does the, does the kind of, ah, oh, what the fuck are you doing? He does this kind of almost William Shatner-esque talking, <laughs> which is really, but um, uh, that almost felt a bit too much for me. Um, but the rest of it, I think, was really well done. Uh, yeah, they, they go off. Uh, it's unsettling because you know these characters and you kind of think, oh, well, it almost leads you up to think Lavinia's actually going to protect herself with her mm-hmm. Wiccan power. Of course, they do a no good whatsoever in the end, and she goes just as off the rails as everyone else. Um, but that, that's the thing I love. They're, they're, they are all breaking down in their own ways. They are each trying to survive the situation in their own way. Yeah. And staying true to the story, spoiler, none of it helps. No, they all die. It's it's the downer of the story. This this bad thing happens and they all die. But they almost it does it well in the sense that they almost by the end of it they're so off the rails they don't care that they're dying. They're just and it, it does it in a realistic I mean, way. arguably, is there perhaps some survival of consciousness in the context of the colour? I think you can make a case for that. Well the other thing it, is it's a I, weird altered survival, but yeah. You know. Well, I, I think what it, yeah, and it, 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 um, I think what it gets better than Defarba is the colour itself, because although it's just a lurid green, it kind of, uh, pink, lurid my lord. green, pink, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> same thing, um, it kind of increases in tempo through the film, as it does in Defarba, we get more and more of it, but here, you don't just see a weird glowing colour. The whole colour scheme of the film changes to almost this weird... Yeah, um, we've we've got the pinky-purpley crops, for example. Yeah, but by the end of it, the whole kind of colour scheme of the film is off and unsettling, and uh, mm. it's just a bit like staring at a bonkers Hieronymus, Hieronymus Bosch picture, and it's just... It, it works well, that increasing tempo. Um, I, I will admit that uh, 
re- reminding me of, of the super bright torches in Whisperer, uh, some of this was pretty dark and hard to make out at places. For me. Yeah, there yeah. we go. So we, <laughs> we have um, a pretty disturbing uh, monster creature in kind of the fused um, Teresa and the youngest child. I thought that was done. That well, that was, that was done. I don't want to say sensitively. It was done realistically in a mm. way that where the characters behave in odd ways, as they do, you understand that that's odd. You're not like, what are you doing? You, you understand that things are going awry, so you're not screaming at the screen, why aren't they doing this and why aren't they doing that? It's because, because they're already corrupted by this. Uh, and at least a little bit mad. Yes. I do feel that the element that didn't work for me was Handsome Hunky Hydrologist. Um... Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I, I didn't think that got too much play. Um, yeah, as in, I didn't think it got really... excessive amounts of play. That's fair. I I was worried he was going to be the hero protagonist, and actually he's really just the guy who turns up at the end to be like, oh, everyone dies, and I didn't save anyone. Hmm. I Fair got point. got some good moments. I, d- I did really... Okay, it, it, it's probably a quite an easy effect shot, particularly when you've got digital compositing to play with, but that whole, I've just done the test strip on the water and it, and it is glowing pink. I'm pretty sure that's not <laughs> a thing it's supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, just a nice night. Yeah, it, yes, we, we get the framing and the lead up to it, but it does work on its own, which I like. I also appreciate it. it didn't have to do like put it through a bubbling set of chemicals, <laughs> put a test strip in it like most people would, you know. It's yeah. Um, it, it didn't have to do some Hollywood science exclamation mark. Um, it was just something that looked pretty mundane that turned. I weird. think overall, I mean, there there is definitely more conventional horror here than we see yeah. in the other films, which, which are a lot more mannered. Yeah. Um, particularly the, on the body horror side of things. Yes. Um, but I, I, I forgive that even though it's not a thing I particularly care for because of the characters, because of their trying to cope with this in their individual ways and it keeps the essential futility. I, I, I was not expecting much from this film. Um, but I ended up really rather liking it. I agree with you that there's more, uh, it doesn't lean into it nearly as much as either Reanimator or Dagon did. Um, hmm. which I think lent into it greatly to their detriment. Um, yeah, well, also, uh, at least in this film, uh, the, the, the filmmaker has grown beyond let us use tits for entertainment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's, it's, I agree. I think I enjoyed it less, certainly for the first half, than I, than I am, than talking about it now, I think. Um, cause I think I see why it was necessary. I do, in a way that Defarber didn't, I think this really did stick the landing and ultimately mm. probably stays with you. Uh, it, it felt, a, in a way, partially, I think, because we'd gone from three black and white films that were low budget or at least felt so in some areas or were consciously, almost pretentiously a bit more arty. This felt a lot more like Hollywood. Um, yeah, this is also the only one that isn't trying to be period. Yes, exactly. So I think I was maybe slightly against it for that reason, but I, I, I do think it probably works the best on the unsettling feelings of all of them. De Fabra came pretty close though, because I think that really does hit the atmosphere very well. It's just the story; it doesn't quite hit perfectly. Hmm. But yeah, I. I... All right, Roger's Pagan Corner, a, a new corner for this show. <laughs> a new corner, okay. Um, Definitely oft visited. 
I, I, I am not myself pagan or Wiccan, but I have, I have significant sympathy with them. Um, rituals are, very, are a very individual thing, and you, you basically cannot, cannot say you're doing the ritual wrong, or if you do, you're getting, you're missing the point, I feel. Right, yeah. However, it's calling on four angels, and then asking for their co- corresponding five principalities, I, I, yeah, they, they're, they're, they're four, they're five. They're, they're supposed to map one to one. That's why you name the, and uh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Your upbringing is hearing. Uh, not that you grew up pagan, but, um, but yeah. Uh, okay, well. But again, I mean, I, I, I could watch that and think that doesn't really work, but at the same time, I, at the same time, I could think, okay, yeah, she, she's got this from books. She's made up of a certain amount of it herself. She may simply not have spotted that. Fair well, exactly, enough. Yeah, it, it works in character. <laughs> the, the, uh, this isn't a film in which that is an actual true way of getting real magic. So, well, that I felt. I I think I got tired because it almost set things up like this is going to be a Hollywood. She, they, she's going to run off with a hydrologist. She's going to be protected. I did, none of that happened. None. Of, they mm-hmm. all tried to cope with it in their own way, as you say. None of it worked. It was quite Lovecraftian in the end. And I, by the end of the film, I really did appreciate it a lot. So there we are, four Lovecraft films, um, as opposed to our last two. I, I enjoyed every one of them more mm. than, um, than the previous two. Yeah. They were all more faithful, which I think does show, uh, I, we know, as we've mentioned, Lovecraft has significant problems, but he was a good writer and a good plotter. I think perhaps I hadn't appreciated it quite so much, but... Well, all, all have... of these do a reasonable job. I mean, okay, apart from the, the Call of Cthulhu, which, which clearly has, you know, degenerate Louisiana swamp people. Uh, <laughs> but, but but apart from that, they're, they're all doing a reasonable job of either leaving out the racism or downplaying it. Yes. But whenever they deviate from his plots, um, for the most part, it doesn't work, which was a surprise to me. But uh, uh, especially when there are people quite experienced storytellers behind it. But. Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, um, Lovecraft is one of those writers. So you, you you read him and think you think this would be really easy to pastiche, yeah. um, yes. and people feel the same way about P.G. Woodhouse, and they are both really very hard to do well. I, I, I suspect getting getting the feel in your own material that you add to a Lovecraft story in the adaptation may, may well be more challenging than we have assumed that it is. <laughs> I think um, Douglas Adams, who uh, I think probably is also one of those authors that it feel, makes it... He said um, it might look easy, but there's an awful lot of tinkering under the bonnet. And I think that's uh, that's fair to say probably with Lovecraft uh, and Woodhouse. Um, anyway, there we go. I, I would... Um, uh, I, I've definitely enjoyed revisiting Lovecraft. I don't know if there's that many more adaptations uh, to watch, but if we find well, them... there there have been quite a lot of adaptations, but the general consensus seems to be that most of them aren't actually terribly good, and yeah. even the ones that are that are good as horror films aren't terribly Lovecraftian for the most part. Yeah, I think existential horror does not translate that well. Um, and hopelessness <laughs> to a, a visual medium, and I'm surprised to find that the color out of space probably came closest to, to invoking that feeling. I think, though, again, Defarber, I think, really hit the atmosphere of hopelessness. But mm. color out of space, as the plot goes, actually became pretty Lovecraftian. Very good. I think Richard Stanley is new to Ribbon of Memes. He's the director of the the Colour Out of Space. Isn't it? Um, I would yeah. very be very happy watching uh, another um, Richard oh. Stanley Nicholas Cage um, 
uh, right, I've, I've collaboration. Just, just checked, and I have seen another film of his. It was Hardware. Oh, the the the. Uh, I'm not allowed to say the Terminator alike uh, film. For, for, for specific legal reasons, you're not allowed to say <laughs> that. But yeah, uh, but we, we, yeah, the the overall plot is that we, we've got this uh, warbot being being dedicated to to the population reduction program. And it spends the vast majority of the film trying to reduce the population of one apartment. Yes, <laughs> it's. Um, I have seen that many many years ago and barely remember it, but I think it's. I think I saw it in the, the cinema job. and I hated it. Oh, did you? Okay, all right. <laughs> but you I know that that was when it was out, and that that is now thirty three years ago. So, well, I saw that. I saw. I must have seen it many years later on uh, VHS, and at the time at home, um, I think it worked better probably than going out to the cinema. Yeah, I mean, I might well go back. Giving. Revisit um, it, and it's well, got Lemmy, so you know, how can you go <laughs> well, wrong? Well, again, once again, Nicolas Cage gets the the ribbon of memes seal of approval. I I was yeah, I mean, should, should, should... a Wicker Man style so bad it's good for the colour out of space, but not not quite. Should, should we you, you consider the masterpiece flag? Oh yeah, okay. Um, all right. So for me, the Call of Cthulhu. Uh, oh, I want to call it a masterpiece because of the effort and skill that's gone into it, um, uh, but not quite for me. Yeah, Defab. I like it. I like it a yeah. lot, but yeah. I think it has significant problems. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a masterpiece for a long time. I really thought this is really getting it. This is really, good. but it, it, it and yeah, it doesn't quite do it for me. Uh, yeah. Whisperer, I'm I'm afraid not. Though, yeah, as I say, you know, we we've been done on these because because we're nitpicking stuff that didn't work yeah. for us because the 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 core original stories largely do work for us. Yeah. Um. Again, many things I like about it, but not masterpiece. For me, colour actually is. I, I was quite surprised, but I think you've talked me into it because I wasn't <laughs> sure at the time. But as we talk about how well it worked, uh, as I remember bits of it, I, I think I was. The problem was I was too set up to think this is a schlock horror. I, do you know, I think things like Reanimator and Dagon made me expect it to do that, and it it, it didn't really. So by the end of it, it won me over and. I think so. I, you don't see many horror films like that that don't have a hero or heroine. Um, that just have characters where bad things happen to them. It didn't have a like a three act structure or anything like that. Mm. Which I quite like to. Um, and be, being fair, I think it does help to be a Lovecraft fan in the first place. Um, Marianne yeah. was not impressed with this one. Um, she she okay. found it heavy handed horror. Um, yeah. And and I think with, without that, without some idea of the original story. It doesn't doesn't work as well. I feel like they they should work on their own terms. That might back me off from masterpiece with that one. Uh, it's very hard for me with all of these to uh, forget what what it was like not knowing the original story. Yeah, I, I think for me maybe I think it's fair to say none of them are quite masterpieces here. The Color Out of Space comes very close for me. But I enjoyed Color a great deal. Yeah, there are things wrong with it, but yeah. Okay, very good. Well, there we go. That's our first uh, themed episode. Um, and, of course, we went for Lovecraft. We shall um, return with more themes anon. on. <laughs>